Well, for those of you who don't know us, I'm Nayaswami Devi. This is Nayaswami Jyotish. And <clears throat> we just got back um, last week. We were first in our community in Assisi, Italy, and then at our many different centers in India. And we were gone for, it seemed like a long time. But <laughs> it wasn't really that long by the clock. Okay, so our topic this week is Rays of the oh, topic is from Rays of the One Light, and the topic is what is it to to fail spiritually? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The first passage is from the Gospel of Saint Matthew, chapter twenty-five. Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins, five of them wise and five foolish. They await their bridegroom, the Christ consciousness. The wise virgins keep the oil in their lamps, symbolic of their devotion, lit through the night. The foolish virgins place no oil in their lamps. These foolish ones are like the average devotee, going through the motions of outer ritual, but keeping no fire of love burning in the heart. When the bridegroom's coming is announced, the foolish virgins realize their mistake and hasten out to purchase oil. During their absence, the Christ consciousness comes and embraces those who have been awaiting him with devotion. The foolish ones, by their lackluster devotion, are not accepted by him. Watch, therefore, Jesus told his listeners, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda describes the, quote, foolish virgin consciousness he encountered in the Mahamandal hermitage he stayed in as a young man in Benares. I was pleased, he wrote, that my new home possessed an attic where I managed to spend the dawn and morning hours. The ashram members, knowing little of meditation practices, thought I should employ my whole time in organizational duties. They gave me praise for my afternoon work in the office. Don't try to catch God so soon. This ridicule accompanied one of my early departures toward the attic. Later, during meditation, I felt lifted as though bodily to a sphere uncircumscribed. Thy master cometh today. A divine womanly voice came from everywhere and nowhere. This supernal experience was pierced by a shout from a definite locale. A young priest nicknamed Habu was calling me <clears throat> from the downstairs kitchen. Mukunda, enough of meditation. You are needed for an errand. The Divine Mother's words were not spoken for the benefit of that priest, the foolish virgin, but for Mukunda, the wise virgin. For this was the day his guru, Sri Akteshwar, came to him. Grieve not, friends, if you feel that you have been foolish. No error is forever. Someday, if you keep your lamp lit now, your opportunity will come. In the Bhagavad Gita, the sixth chapter, Krishna promises every devotee, Arjuna, 
none who works for self-redemption will ever meet an evil destiny. Spiritual failure, though a deep disappointment, is always temporary. Quote, eternal hellfire is but a projection of vindictiveness in the human mind. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. I read this beautiful prayer demand from by Master from Whispers from Eternity. Volumes, this is, tune us that we may hear thy voice. Volumes of thy Savior voice resound through the loudspeaker of every loving heart. The voice of thy wisdom roams through the ether of space, seeking everywhere hearts that are tuned to ecstasy. Sadly, thy warning sermons pass unheard by souls deafened with the static of sense pleasures. O divine broadcaster, tune our souls. King, I better have the glasses. (laughs) Now I can read it more smoothly. O divine broadcaster, tune our souls, long distracted by the static of our indifference. Fine-tune us with a delicate touch of soul perception. Grant us the privilege of hearing thy magic melodies in the ecstasy of divine awakening. Well, this is a wonderful topic today how we fail spiritually. It's nice to finally have a topic on which I have some expertise. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting to contemplate the combination of the affirmation where Swamiji was talking about the immortality of the real us. Our soul is immortal. And we come through many, many different bodies, millions and millions, perhaps billions of different bodies, different experiences. Master said that life is a school and we incarnate again and again and again until we graduate from that school. Now that school is something much more comprehensive much deeper than the schools that we're used to because essentially graduation from it means that we have to transcend everything, all the qualities, all the self-definitions that hold us back from knowing that we're the soul. So it's as if the soul in a state of hypnotism or miasma goes through life after life until it wakes up. And it's a very, very nice analogy to have this passage from the Bible talking about trying to stay awake at night 
with the lamps, to keep the lamps lit so that we're awaiting the coming of Christ consciousness. Now usually when you hear in scriptures, in the Bible especially, something about lamps, something about lights, and keeping them lit, often that's referring quietly and secretly to the chakras inside. And so there are five chakras, basically, the sixth being uh, the medulla and by projection the spiritual eye. But the five chakras bringing the energy up means that we're keeping those lamps lit. But when our energy descends, it's using up the oil of past karma and those lights eventually go out. And so what we're really talking about here, and it's very applicable to all of us, is the attempt to wake up so that we receive the bridegroom of Christ consciousness. Now that school of life goes on and on and on until we're ready even to have those lamps, even to try to stay awake, even to be awaiting the Christ consciousness is a very, very high state. Most people in this world aren't even beginning to think that way. They don't want to yet to wake up. And so they're going to go back to school again and again and again. Thinking of school, we heard a great joke in India. This, this is a really good one. So the mother comes in and says to the child, her child, get up, get up, you have to go to school. And the child kind of says drowsily, I don't want to go to school, I want to go back to sleep. She says, you have to get up. He says, there are two reasons I don't want to go to school. All the children hate me, and all the teachers hate me. And she says, you've got to get up, you've got to go to school, and there are two reasons. One, you're 52 years old, <laughs> and two, you're the principal. I told you it was a good one. And so, we often want to go to sleep and don't want to go to school. And it doesn't matter our age or position. It's, it's all a spiritual awakening that's going on. So what does it really mean? to receive the Christ consciousness, to receive the bridegroom, the five virgins who kept their lamps lit and are awaiting that. Well, this is no joke because to receive the Christ consciousness means to become essentially in consciousness, to be the same as Jesus, to be the same as Yogananda, or any of the other great masters. Christ consciousness, you see, is the point at which we lose the identity with limitation and become identified with everything in all creation. That means the sense of I, the sense of me, who I think I am. As long as we think I am a man or a woman, I am big or small, I'm smart or unintelligent, any, any of those self-definitions, then we're limited by the self-definitions that we have for ourselves. 
Master, I mean, Swamiji said that the ego definition of the ego is our bundle of self-definitions. So as long as you have a bundle of self-definitions, you have what you are in reality is the soul, which is one with God, and that has all the universe, infinite universe of possibilities. And out of that infinite universe of possibilities, we choose to say, I'm an American, I'm a man, I'm rich, I'm poor. I'm a... We pick out a paltry handful of self-definitions, and that's who we think we are. Now, in a sense, it's we, in a sense, it's not we. You know, the soul incarnates, and there's a propulsion. God sends us into this world kind of with a momentum to create self-definitions. The senses go outward. The consciousness goes outward. We come into a body, and that body is a male body, a female body. It's an American it's born in America, or I can't say it's an American body, born in America, born in India, born wherever, and we grow up with the natural tendency to accumulate those self-definitions. And so it's not as if we've done something wrong because we have those self-definitions. It's a very, very natural process. It's only when we want to go beyond that bundle of self-definitions, that the real, one could say the real beginning of the conscious spiritual path comes. One time Swami was doing an interview in India and the woman reporter asked him, do we need a guru? And he gave a very surprising answer. He said, no, you don't need a guru. Why would you want a guru? Somebody telling you what to do, telling you how to think, telling you the right attitudes to have? You don't need a guru unless you want to find God. Then, of course, you need a guru. <laughs> but see, there's a, it's funny, but it's not funny because it's only when we want to await the bridegroom, only when we want to light those lamps that we need a guru to help us see how to do that, how to stay awake. What does it mean to fall asleep? Well, the lights, as I said, are the chakras, and the guru helps us to have our energy directed in an upward direction through the chakras. As long as the energy is directed upwardly, inevitably it is going to result in the attainment of Christ consciousness or enlightenment or the breaking of the bonds of guru. That's why, uh, the breaking of the bonds of delusion. That's why the passage, Swami put the passage about Mukunda and having the, the voice of Divine Mother telling him that he's going to meet his master that day. Why is that so important, you know? I mean, it seems like, of course, we read in the autobiography and it's a very touching story, but what does it mean to really meet your guru? What is that relationship? When we really meet our guru, our guru is that bridegroom. See, the guru is not a person. 
and Master, in his interpretation of that passage from the Bible, didn't talk about the bridegroom as being a person. He talked about the bridegroom as being Christ consciousness. And that's not a person. That's every person. That's everything. That's all consciousness. All consciousness, at least in creation. And so to meet the guru means to meet an enlightened one who's aware of his reality. And it's through the guru, through that enlightened one, that we will be taken from the waiting state to the wedding or to the union with God and to, with our own soul. So for us as devotees, we're like the five, hopefully, wise uh, virgins who are waiting the coming of Christ consciousness, keeping our lamps lit, keeping the energy, keeping devotion, keeping service, keeping self-offering, keeping satsang, keeping attunement with the guru above all. All of those ways that we can keep our lamps lit. And so as long as we're trying, as long as we're working at that, then we have the power of God behind us. It's not that we have to be perfect. Master gave us so many different teachings and uh, words and right attitudes and so on. And one can think, oh my God, how am I ever going to do all of that? He told us we don't have to do all of it. He said, do 1% and you'll get there. See, God... Christ consciousness is not waiting to punish us. He's waiting. He's, he is us. He's our higher self. He's all love. He's all joy. She's all love. She's all joy. There's no masculine or feminine at that level. It's consciousness. And that consciousness is our very own self. And so it's not waiting to punish us. It's hoping that we won't fall asleep so that we'll become awakened. But this whole concept of being eternally damned because you do something wrong, is, it's just nonsense. One time, Davy and I, we started the San Francisco ashram, and there was a, a couple there that were with us for a while, and then they drifted off and then they got involved in a very fundamentalist church. And about a year later, we got this letter saying that unless we renounced our heathen ways and practices, we were going to burn forever in the fires of the lake of Golgotha or something like that. Well, I mean, how could not making a choice to believe in a certain way, condemn us forever and ever, we're talking eternity here, to burn in a fire of Golgotha, the lake of Golgotha. As Swamiji put it, imagine some poor man who kind of grows up in a gang area, in a slum, ends up shooting somebody, and then is executed and sent to hell. And he's supposed to be punished there forever and ever. Well, Swami says, 
imagine him after about a billion years there, which is only a quarter of a tick of a second in eternity, after a billion or two billion years there, saying, what did I do again? <laughs> why, why in the world am I here after being tortured for two billion years? And, you know, it's just nonsense. So we come from perfection. We are perfection in our true nature. And so Christ consciousness is just the draw of the higher state of our own self, saying, come, come with me. Are you ready? But being ready is not really a joke. We have to be ready to release all of those definitions. And some of them seem precious to us. You know, we may have fought for a long time to become successful. Many, many lifetimes we may have fought to become successful. And now in this lifetime, let's say that we're very successful. And that self-definition now has become very precious to us. Are you ready to leave it behind and go with the bridegroom? Go with Christ consciousness? Because if you're not, if there are still things that you want, self-definitions, bundles of self-definitions that you still yearn for, that you're still holding on to, then the bridegroom comes and sees that your lamp has become dim and is about to flutter out and says, you'd better run out and get some more oil. And so running out and getting some more oil is just another lifetime. And it's not as if we're being punished. The school of life is not punishment. It's just the way that we're educated. Master said all of life is for our education and entertainment. Then he said, ah, but how few are either educated or entertained. <laughs> and so we'll just keep coming back and coming back until we get to the point where we are ready to leave all self-definitions behind. One time, Dr. Lewis said to Master, give me samadhi, give me samadhi, which is the samadhi is where we go into this state, at least temporarily, of Christ consciousness. And Master looked at him very intently, very intently, and said, are you ready for it if I gave it to you? And Dr. Lewis looked down and said, no. He still was holding on to some of those self-definitions. Master said that we won't go into that state until we're ready for a total change of perspective. And so when we become free, really free, in our heart, in our mind, that's when the potential to receive Christ consciousness comes. And when then Divine Mother says, come, that you meet your master today, then that master is the bridegroom that will take us to Christ consciousness. So we don't have to fret. It's all a kind of a process. We just have to do our best. That's all God asks of us. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He doesn't condemn us if we fail. 
of course we're going to fail. The reason that we're in this lifetime is that we went asleep last lifetime. And so if we can stay awake in this lifetime, wonderful. Then we'll go into Christ consciousness. And if not, nothing is lost. Nothing is lost. We're just ready for the next step in the next lifetime until finally we're done with it all. We're finished. And we just don't want to fall asleep anymore. And then the bridegroom comes and he takes us with him. And it's a beautiful process, filled with love, filled with joy. So we don't need to fret. We don't need to be down on ourselves. We just have to do our best because God is a loving God, a joyful God, and he knows us much, much better than we know ourselves. And so our job is to offer ourselves into that light. I'll also share a few words because we've been gone so long. You know, traveling, first we went, as I said, to our community in Assisi, Italy. We were there for about three weeks, and then we went to visit all of our centers throughout India, and we were there for nearly three months. And, of course, during that time, we were aware of the news in the world and so forth, and seeing different cultures, different levels of consciousness. And one becomes very aware of the urgency of people staying awake now. The world is not, it's in a time of tremendous turmoil right now, of uncertainty, of confusion, of darkness. These forces are ripping the world apart. And yet, everywhere we went, we were aware of these things. In fact, someone, we arrived in San Francisco, a few people met us there, and one person told us there's a terrorist threat uh, in Europe that the jihad uh, is saying to bomb a bunch of airplanes and they were canceling a lot of the flights and people couldn't bring hand baggage on at all. And we just sailed right under it. We weren't aware of it at all. But the point that I'm making is the world is filled right now with people who are, to say they're spiritually sleeping, is uh, putting it mildly, people who are reveling in the darkness and I remember some years ago, someone asked Swamiji, what is Ananda's mission? And he said, to equalize the world on the spiritual plane, to bring spirituality, to bring higher consciousness into the world. Are our numbers equal to the numbers on the other side? No. But are they more focused than the numbers on the other side? Emphatically, yes. And the last night we were in India, this was last Sunday night, a week ago, we were doing a Kriya with uh, Jaya, for those of you who know Dhyana, Keshava, uh, Jyotisha, myself, and Devarshi. And when I was looking at Master's picture during the blessing, and I just, honestly, I felt this 
kind of wave of energy coming from him, from not that he's a person, but from his consciousness, just saying it is such an urgent need to bring these teachings to people now, everywhere in the world. It's not a time to be kind of drifting along happily, but it's a time to get these teachings out in whatever way we can. And it, it almost kind of knocked me off my feet. It was so powerful. And I just thought, you know, we do so many things at Ananda throughout the world, and it's such a joy coming back and seeing the diversity of activities that goes on in this one little place. But let's remember, underneath everything that we do, and I know all of it is service to God, I see that. I see that everywhere throughout this community. But nevertheless, let's not lose sight of what's behind all the service. Behind all the service, all the outward activity, is the deep necessity to equalize the world on the spiritual plane, to keep God consciousness vibrant. We have to be keeping our lights burning because the rest of the world doesn't even know there's lights to burn. And so it's so important now, with increasing urgency. I was just thinking this morning about all the horrible things you read in the news, and I was thinking, someone's got to do something to shift this hatred and violence and, and injustice. And then I thought, well, that's what we're doing. It may not look that way, but that's exactly what we're doing. Because we're trying to change the consciousness, first of ourselves, and then to share that. Whether it's through public lectures, that's the least of it, really. It's just through living the vibration. And it was so wonderful coming back here. I mean, we've had very little interaction. We've been mainly resting. And uh, I have to say, I was more like one of the sleeping virgins <laughs> than the wise ones in these last couple of days. But anyway, we're getting through jet lag. But, um, but just, just being here today, we were just talking with a few people about the work they're doing to help some of our core activities here stay balanced and stay going. And then two or three of the guests introduced themselves. And with so much joy in their face, I took discipleship. I got my Kriya. I got my Kriya in October. I just got my... And I thought, this is so wonderful. And yes, we have the money and the problems and personnel and all that stuff. But remember what Swamiji said? If we, and then listening to the choir, listen to the vibration of what's going on, feel the spiritual dedication of this community, and you know everything's fine. We have a big job ahead of us, no doubt, but we're moving forward in the right way, and I'm not at all concerned about Ananda's future, because the grace of God and Guru will flow through willing instruments. And that's all of the sincere disciples, wherever you are. I see people from some of our other communities and centers here today. So wherever we are, let's just remember that what we're doing is not just for ourselves, not by a long shot. It's really for this crazy time of early Dwapara Yuga, 
where the values are so confused and righteousness is so clouded. And, you know, it says in the Bhagavad Gita, when virtue declines and vice predominates, I will come again to reestablish dharma, right action in the world. That's why our line of gurus came at this time. And we are their children. We are the ones that need to say, we will stay awake, Lord, through this darkness. And we will nurture that fire. And we will go for God. You know, I, I'll share something personal. Some years, some years ago, you all remember this, Swamiji uh, said to all of the people living here, you should try to achieve the state of Jivan Mukta in this lifetime. And he said that, and I think we all had our own reactions to that. But for me, my reaction was, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm on that level that I can even shoot for that goal. I think I have to lower my sights. I'll never get there. But somehow this trip, this recent trip to India, was really quite life-changing. And I felt a shift in me, and I thought, maybe I won't make it, but I want it. And that was a difference before I held myself at a distance from it. But I thought, I want it. And if I find it or not, that's God's business. But for all of us, just this one, we concluded with such compassion and, and sympathy of heart when he said, dear friends, don't grieve if you've erred, if you've fallen asleep from time to time. Just keep trying and keep wanting it. Keep wanting it. And the more you want it, the more other things, lesser self-images, I'm not good enough, I've made mistakes, I don't meditate enough, you fill in the blanks, we all have them. But the more we can just say, I really want this, not only for myself, but because every time I read a story in the news that's filled with darkness, I want to have the light within me so strong that I can counter that. And that's what we can do if we keep trying. So we've been given a tremendous opportunity in this lifetime with these communities, with our teachings, with our guru bhais, with our guru, with Swamiji. And I don't have to exhort you to stay awake. I just am so grateful that I can live amongst people that are moving towards the light and that are doing something of true value in this world today.